Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Good morning. It's good to see you all And what has turned out to be a beautiful, sunny Palm Sunday. And I, I understand that if a few of you look a little bleary-eyed, I am aware there was a game on last night. <clears throat> so it's okay. There's grace here. During this season of Lent, as we have seen the light grow, as we've seen the days get longer as we head into springtime, we've been exploring the Gospel of John and looking at how Jesus came as the light of the world into a world that was darkened by the pain of death and sin. We've seen how Jesus came to bring light and life to places where there were darkness and death. And this morning, we'll look back to that first Palm Sunday and discover that the people that day seemed at least a little bit to be blinded by the light. The people saw something coming toward them that day, but in a way, it was so bright, so big, they didn't quite know what to make of it, as if oncoming headlights were coming down the road. But before we dig in, I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, light of the world, open our eyes so that we would see you this morning and that we would follow you all of our days. Amen. So before we get into John's story of what's come to be known as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, I want to set the scene in context uh, and have a look at what happened just before this. And this is important because John begins the Palm Sunday account by saying, the next day. And so he clearly wanted to link these Palm Sunday events to what had just happened, which we find at the beginning of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. John's chapter opens in the village of Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. 
And we see that Jesus, over the course of his ministry, spent quite a bit of time there. Over the years, we see that he developed friendships among those who lived in Bethany. It was a pivotal location in the life and ministry of Jesus. It came to become the name of this very church because of its centrality in the Gospels. And as Jesus was there, there was a dinner that was held in his honor. Jesus was honored by his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Honored not just by the food and the hospitality, but also by this anointing by Mary with an extravagant outpouring of expensive perfume. Judas Iscariot, we're told, objected, but Jesus told him to let her alone, that she was anointing him in preparation for his death and burial. In fact, the way John's gospel reads, it's as if Mary was actually intended to hold on to that perfume in order to prepare his dead body for placement in a tomb. It's as if in this moment she simply can't resist an opportunity for extravagant worship of her Lord and Savior. And so she poured it on him right then and there. Jesus was also honored that, that day by the familiar arrival of crowds who seemed to gather wherever he went. They wanted to catch a glimpse of him to see what this rabbi was up to, this one who just might be the Messiah. And so they pressed in around the house, drawn by the dual attractions of Jesus and the man he had raised from death to life, Lazarus. Lazarus, whom Pastor Diane told us, was called forth by Jesus from the tomb, and hearing his name, could not resist, but came from death to life. Came from the tomb that we saw was a foreshadowing of the very tomb of Jesus, only a short time later. And then we read what I've come to consider one of the most chilling verses in the Bible. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And so in this revelation, there is no hiding what these religious leaders are up to, what their plan is. Because up to this point, they have accused Jesus on the grounds of blasphemy, blasphemy, saying no mortal human could ever claim to have come from the presence of God. No mortal human could ever claim to be equal with God himself. And several times they'd attempted to seize Jesus or stone him for this alleged crime. But Jesus had always slipped away. But here Lazarus shows up simply as collateral damage from those seeking the life of Jesus. And they're more than willing to inflict it. These religious leaders scheme the premeditated murder of Lazarus because he's inconvenient, because he's causing trouble. He's adding to the excitement around Jesus. Lazarus has done nothing wrong. These leaders don't deny it. They don't accuse him of anything. But they really don't care. They're willing to sacrifice his life. And we actually don't find out for sure whether they carry out their murder plan, but it seems perhaps unlikely. We've already heard this morning what happens next, but let's go back to that scene and look at the verses beyond as well. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. 
shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And so this scene of Jesus riding into Jerusalem that day is just chock full of references and motifs and images from the Old Testament, which were, of course, the only scriptures God's people had at that time. As Jesus rode into the city, people shouted, Hosanna, an echo of Psalm 118, which was read earlier. In that psalm, we heard, Lord, please save us, which is two Hebrew words that sound like that, please save Hosanna means simply save. But by the time of Jesus, this shout that still meant save us was perhaps a little bit less of an SOS call and something more of a word of praise and worship, perhaps a bit closer to the Lord saves and will save us. And so the people waving branches cut from nearby trees that day shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting directly from Psalm 118 a psalm that in its entirety is a hymn of praise intended for jubilant celebrations of victory and deliverance through the hands of God. And so the people on that road that day were heralding Jesus, welcoming him as a royal deliverer sent by God. And this idea of a kingly arrival was further emphasized by how Jesus showed up, riding on a young donkey, which the people saw as a direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And so John writes that even though this is a high point of Jesus' ministry, even though there's an air of festivity and all that's going on, the the disciples don't quite know what to make of all these things. They hadn't yet fit the pieces and wouldn't place the pieces together until after Jesus had risen from the dead. But word was spreading like wildfire, not just because of the entry of Jesus and what he was coming to do in Jerusalem, but especially because of this story of Lazarus. The word gets out that this man has been risen from the dead, come from the tomb in Bethany just a short time earlier. Now, we know that Jesus had performed many miracles, but there was something about this one that captivated the people's attention. It seemed to be the spark on a powder keg of rumor, amazement, speculation, and, we're told, belief. And this drove the religious leaders crazy. The Pharisees said to one another, look, this is getting us nowhere. See how the whole world has gone after him. So all their efforts to clamp down on the life and teachings and ministry of Jesus were to no avail. We see that Jesus himself 
actually seemed to kind of tamp down the news, try to control what, uh, the news of what he was doing, telling people he healed not to spread the news. But word had gotten out, and the royal city of Jerusalem was abuzz. The whole world has gone after him, said the religious leaders. What a wonderfully prophetic word. That was God's intention. That was the purpose of the church that would soon shine as the light of the world when Christ had ascended to heaven, that the whole world would indeed go after him. But in the meantime, these leaders so violently opposed to Jesus just knew they needed to try something new. They needed a brand new tactic. Something had to be done. And so as we journey again through Holy Week with Jesus and his disciples, we'll watch again as the shadows grow longer, as the events of the week that began on Palm Sunday begin to unfold. Now this morning, I'd like for us to take off our our virtual glasses that give us the benefit of 2020 hindsight. Because we know what happened the rest of that week. Those of us who have heard these stories of the triumphal entry, the Passover meal shared among friends, betrayal, sentencing, and death on a cross. But I'd like for us to place ourselves along the road that day with leafy branches in our hands, with shouts on our lips. And many of us, I'm sure this morning, would say the same words along with the crowd. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Behold, our King. But I think many of us, maybe most of us too, can recognize that even as we see the King approach, perhaps we don't fully understand exactly who he is and all that he intends for our lives and for the world. Like the people of Jesus' day, we have our own set of hopes and expectations. As we praise Jesus as Lord, as Messiah, we say, if you are Lord and we claim that you are, surely you will do this for us. That was the cry of the people on the road. Surely this king will do these things for us. The people there that day were longing for deliverance from political oppression freedom from regulations, the stifling of their worship and livelihoods. Basically, the people wanted the Romans to get what was coming to them. And their assumption was any Messiah who would come in the name of the Lord would surely give them at least that and so much more. More freedom, more power, more victory. And Jesus indeed brought all those things but sometimes in surprising ways. Jesus came to bring freedom, but not freedom from Rome. It was freedom from sin. He came to bring power. He came to bring the Holy Spirit's power that would actually allow his disciples to follow in his footsteps and live lives of loving sacrifice. And he came to bring victory, victory over eternal death. And so this morning, as we wave our palm branches, what what are our expectations of this arriving Messiah? What are we hoping, maybe honestly, expecting him to do for us? For the people on the road that day, it just seemed like the best and brightest day ever. 
But as a pastor colleague of mine put it recently, the people that day experienced an oblivious joy. They just didn't understand what was coming their way. And even though our own joy is well-founded in Christ, I think we might still be a bit oblivious, needing to prepare ourselves for the surprising and somewhat mysterious ways that Jesus might actually choose to work in our lives and world. Because Jesus still surprises those who hail him as Lord. He's completely faithful. He is 100% trustworthy. But that doesn't make him predictable because our understanding is limited. Hailing Jesus as Lord means opening ourselves to the bigness of who he is, acknowledging that as God himself, his ways are above and beyond our ways. And sometimes the surprises he sends our way are, are pleasant. They bring us immediate joy. We find ourselves receiving something bigger and better than we ever asked for or could dream of. And other times we find ourselves not so pleasantly surprised. We're scratching our heads. We come back to Jesus with a mix, a mix of, yes, faith, but also questions. And honestly, with disappointment and sometimes even disillusionment. And say, Jesus, we just don't get it. A couple of weeks ago, we hosted a Lenten retreat here at Bethany. And there were over 30 of us who gathered here throughout the church building to catch our breath, to hit pause on our lives and take some time to listen for God's spirit speaking in our lives and hearts and then to respond through interactive forms of prayer. Many of us were surprised by how God worked that day. I'd like to invite Ruth Satterberg to come and share a bit of her experience and some of the surprises of that uh, recent Saturday. Thanks, Ruth. <laughs> uh, first, I'd like to say thanks for all the cards and prayers and, and um, all the meals shared with me um, during my journey of breast cancer. Those were a surprise to me. I felt so much love, and I'm very grateful. Um, I came to the prayer retreat no, not knowing what to expect, but indeed was surprised during the day, opening myself up to God. We started the day um, in the sanctuary with Mary Miller as she walked us through an ancient practice called Lectio Divina. And it's um, where they, you read scripture three times and, and you listen to where God is speaking to you in different words um, progressively through the three times. And we use the, the Psalm um, 46, it starts like this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though waters roar and foam and the mountains quake in their surging, and on and on. And we, we had the opportunity to share what God was speaking to us. And some people raised their hand and said, the word refuge spoke to them or ever-present help. And I, I didn't say anything because I was a little embarrassed to say, through the waters, though the waters roar and foam. Uh, that was a little bit kind of dark. Um, but, but sometimes you're just in a place where waters are roaring and foaming, and that's where I was. And sometimes you have to just sit with that reality. 
we were released to go off into the church into uniquely creative prayer stations. Um, and everybody left the sanctuary, but I wasn't ready. And down on my knees I went and cried and cried. I wasn't sure at first why, but just feeling broken for relationships, for me, for the world. So finally, I started able to breathe, and they taught us the special breathing, Yah, way, Yah, way, breathing the word of God, breathing the name of God. And finally, I was able to move out of the sanctuary into the labyrinth, which you all have seen kids running around out there. Um, and I, I just followed the instructions as they stated for us at the labyrinth, carried in a burden, led into God's hands, and then walked out releasing that burden. I went to a station with Band-Aids where you write down something that you want prayer for. And I word, wrote down the word me. And then you got to take your Band-Aid and put it up on a cross that was made of uh, yardsticks. And it was, it was really cool. And there were a lot of Band-Aids already on the cross that said the word Ukraine. Um, we all were pretty unified in our prayers for Ukraine. And there were also so many wonderful little scripture cards that were along the journey of the day. I'm not a person that can, can sit and pray for a long time, but at this event, it found it really easy. And I felt myself soaking up every situation at the stations. I enjoyed the creative doodling where you could use markers and pens to make beautiful pictures um, as you meditate on a word. We could use um, a weaving loom to weave our prayers in. I remember praying for our church that it would be a place where all people would come to find God and would get help for their brokenness. Finally, I found myself in a room with mirrors, and we were asked to look in the mirror and see Jesus in the reflection. That was not easy for me. Um, and there were challenges that made me think. All the day was moving me towards God's love and grace. I'm loved, I'm treasured, even broken as I am. I'm amazed at how many times in my life I keep forgetting that, that God loves me. Finally, the scripture in the labyrinth kept coming back to me. You show me the path of life. Your presence, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. My journey isn't over, but God gives me joy in the presence, in his presence, and in the journey. No matter how hard I struggle, he is with me. Thanks be to God. Hey, Thank you, thank you, Ruth. And thanks everyone who helped uh, put that retreat together. It really was a powerful moment. I invite you to watch for opportunities to gather and um, grow in our spiritual habits and practices, uh, even past Lent and Easter. We'll continue to provide opportunities for that kind of connection and growth. We know that Jesus still rides toward us. He rides into our lives claiming his stake as, as Lord and offering his identity as our Savior. And so as we worship him, may we surrender fully 
May we ask him for the faith and the courage to yield to his lordship, even as we claim him as savior. And then let's, let's buckle up, because there will be surprises along the way. Surprises as we follow this one who is truly, truly the light of the world. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the faithfulness that you've shown Ruth during this past season and through these challenges. Thank you for speaking to her by your spirit and through your word and through these um, through time set aside simply to connect and listen and reflect and respond. And I pray your continued blessing upon her as you show her the path of life. And God, we ask that you would do that for each of us, that you would shine as light, revealing the path that you would have us take, uh, rocky and, and uh, with twists and turns, though it may be, would you guide us? Jesus, thank you for coming as light into a world darkened by the pain, the guilt, the brokenness of sin. We do praise you today as King and hail you as Lord. Teach us to yield to you our lives, but also our expectations, our assumptions, so that we might follow you faithfully, that we wouldn't just stand on the roadside and cheer, but we would follow in your very footsteps. We pray in your holy name, amen.